guys. Welcome to St. James. Glad that you, uh, that everybody's here and uh, uh, welcome to the people watching on the live stream as well. Um, thanks for being willing, for those of you who are watching on the live stream, uh, willing to adjust your schedule for 
um, well for the rest of us. It's nice to be uh, starting to head back towards normal. And uh, again, this probably temporary these times. We're going to keep on adjusting as uh, things loosen up and maybe we can get back to our 9 o'clock service at some point. But right now it's good just to uh, be able to get together in person. Uh, a few announcements. Um, uh, schedule's different today. Youth catechism is going to happen right after this, whenever this is done, till around 1 o'clock. So uh, parents, be back here at 1. Or I mean, you're totally free to stay here and hang out with the kids as well, if you'd like. Um, prayer this evening at 5.30. Uh, anybody who wants to is more than welcome to come hang out with us, and we'll spend some time praying for the ministry. We usually focus on, those of us who get together, we focus on uh, praying for God to bless uh, our church and to pour out His Holy Spirit on us and guide and direct us. So feel free to come by at 5.30 tonight. Uh, men's Bible study this Thursday morning, youth group, uh, a Tuesday morning, uh, youth group this Tuesday evening. Uh, screw tape letter study on Wednesday night. If you want to be a part of that, let me know. I can get you a Zoom invitation to that. Uh, yoga Thursday night. Stacy, is there Bible study Saturday morning? Sans you. Okay. So uh, that, that's the other thing. During the service today, uh, there will be some uh, teenagers helping out and participating, and then we're going to pray for them. They're going to give us a, uh, uh, some info at the end of the service, and then we're going to pray for them. They, they and some other people, about 25 or people, are going to head out to the mission trip in Minnesota this week, so we're going to pray for them before they go. Uh, uh, VBS Day coming up on July 11th. Um, you can read the other stuff. Real quick, if anybody's interested, uh, I'm going to start sometime in the next... A uh, month or so, we're going to start a new members class on Sunday evenings. If you want to participate in that, let me know. Anybody is welcome, whether you are thinking about uh, St. James or you're just interested in Christianity or you've been a member here for a while and you just want to uh, talk about the Bible and uh, eat donuts and hang out with us. Uh, it's no commitment. You don't need to, um, you're not signing up, committing your life to anything if you uh, join that study. But let me know if you're, if you're interested in doing that. I think that's all the announcements that I have for today. Let's go ahead and stand, and then we'll pray, and we'll continue worship. God, this, uh, the kingdom is your kingdom, God. We, we as, as, as much as we long for it and want it to be here, we confess that we can't do anything to bring it about. We need your Holy Spirit, by the power of the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, to make your kingdom a reality. And so we're praying, Father, you told us that if we pray and ask you for your Holy Spirit, you will absolutely give him to us. And so this morning, we're praying that you'll pour out your Holy Spirit on us, that you'll pour out your Holy Spirit on Glenn Carbon, that we would see your kingdom come and that it would grow, and that Glenn Carbon would be filled with the knowledge and glory of you like the righteousness covers the seas. We're asking you to do this for your glory and for your great name. Amen. Let's continue in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Let's confess our sin to God our Father. O Lord of hosts, look on the affliction of your servants and remember us. We pour out our souls to you because by our own efforts we have failed. Nothing we have tried has worked. We have tried again and again and still we have failed. O Lord of hosts, look on the affliction of your servants and remember us. Save us from the embarrassment of our failure. Save us from envying those who have apparently succeeded.
grant us some signs of success that we not always be ashamed. O Lord of hosts, look on the affliction of your servants and remember us. You know our need. You know our struggles, our brokenness, our sins. You know that without your mercy, we can do nothing. Grant us mercy for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all our sin. Hear the gospel of Christ for us from 1 John chapter 1. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Please stay standing for the first hymn. How can it be the one who died has borne our sin through sacrifice to conquer every sting of death? Sing, sing hallelujah. For joy awakes as dawning light when Christ disciples lift their eyes alive he stands their friend and king christ christ is arisen christ is risen he's risen this morning is from Psalm 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. The righteous flourish like the palm tree. 
and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in Him. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. Old Testament reading uh, from Ezekiel. I'm going to mention this in the sermon because it's going to connect with, um, it's connected to the gospel uh, text. Ezekiel says, Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one, and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird, in the shade of its branches birds of every sort will nest. And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree and make high the low tree, dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle reading is from 2 Corinthians 5, and I have to be careful that I don't like preach a second sermon here, except I do want to point out one thing. There's a way to read this. This is following up from the epistle reading from last week. There's a way to read this where if you're not, if you're not thinking, you could be like, oh, it's, this is talking about going to heaven when you die. And I just want to emphasize that what Paul is saying here is that what we're longing for is not to be unclothed with a body. We don't want to lose our bodies. We want, a dip, we want our body to be healed. We want an immortal body. And, and this is my experience when I've talked to people about heaven. Like Christians, we've been trained since we were little to say, yes, I'm going to heaven when I die, but there's something weird about that. There's something weird about leaving your body and floating up to the sky. And I just want to say that Paul sees a completely different vision for our future, and that is... Not that we'll be unclothed, not that our bodies will be taken away, but that we'll be further clothed with a perfect body like Jesus' resurrection body. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 is about. And we know that if the tent, Paul says, and he's a slang term for our bodies, we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Okay, now, so I am going to preach a little bit sermon. Some of you are saying, well, Er says that our future home is in the heavens, right? And I'm saying that what Paul is saying here is that the body, the perfect body that he's preparing for us someday is being prepared in the heavens to be given to us someday. N.T. Wright says this, if I invited you over to my house and I said, hey, I got a beer in the fridge for you, what I don't mean is that I need you to crawl into the fridge and drink the beer. What I mean is, is that in the fridge is a beer which I'm going to go get out and hand to you. And that that's what God means here and in 1 Peter 1 when he says, we have a heavenly home or a heavenly immortal body prepared for us, that God is preparing it for us to bring it here and give it to us when Jesus returns. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, Not that we would be unclothed, we don't want to lose our bodies, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit 
as a guarantee. The Holy Spirit, which you and I have, is a down payment, a guarantee that God is going to fix our bodies someday. So we are always of good courage. Either way, we know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. You know, he just finished saying, we don't want to be unclothed, and now he's saying it'd be better to be in heaven, but there's the far better new creation life that's waiting for us. We're of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Verse 9, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it's also known to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what's in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 4. And Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He didn't speak to them without a parable. But privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. So, uh, two stories here about um, planting of seed and uh, plants growing from seed that's been planted. Do you think it's odd that Jesus tells so many stories about uh, seeds being planted? Uh, he loves them. There's just tons of them. He frequently tells the story. One, one thing that we could think is that, you know, this is like he's in an agrarian society and this is kind of stuff they understand. And so, uh, you know, they can get, get his message more clearly with these agricultural illustrations. The, the only problem with that theory, though, is that Jesus is not trying to make them understand stuff. That's, uh, I know that's a weird thing to say. We think of Jesus as the master teacher, and he actually, uh, he's not really, as far as like teaching goals, you know, getting people to understand things, he's not that great at that. In fact, he's intentionally obtuse. Many times in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Jesus says something along the lines of, I'm talking to them in parables so that seeing they will not see and hearing they will not understand. Here we have uh, the very last two verses of our text. With many such parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He didn't speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So clearly, he's telling them stuff in these parables that they're not getting, and he's not explaining it to them. So what's going on with that? Jesus is not primarily a teacher. I'm not saying he doesn't teach us stuff, but if we go to the Gospels and we go to the Gospels to get good teaching, we're missing the point. Jesus is announcing the arrival of the kingdom. And he's doing that in a language that's evocative. I I know you're like, seed? How is that evocative? Just hold on a second. It's it's compelling, if you're an original here. It's not clear exactly what he means when he's claiming to be doing this stuff. But you know in general, if you're a first century Jew, that he is saying something powerful and historical, like eschatological, like cosmic altering. I know you're like, what? he's just talking about seed, a big deal, right? Because so I had this conversation, I didn't say this in the first summer, but I was having this conversation with Marla in between services, and she was asking about like, is there anything like, so people didn't understand, like, is, was there anything about him like trying to prevent Roman soldiers from understanding what he's saying? And that's actually spot on. She like, she nailed it. And here's why, is because if a Roman soldier walks, walked past a dude 
in the in first century Judea, and the guy is saying things like, um, yeah, um, planted some seed, and some fell on a path, and some birds ate it. and Some fell on some rocky ground, and it didn't grow very well. And some fell on some thorns, and it didn't grow very well. And some fell on some good, good ground, and there was a good crop. If you're a Roman soldier and you walk past that, you just think it's like boring farmer's talk. I can say that because my wife grew up. She's a farmer's daughter, so she knows. I know. You guys all know that farmers are boring when they talk about, about farmer stuff. Uh, unless you're in that world. So, but, but if you are a Jew and you hear him talking about seed being planted over and over, you know what you're thinking about? You're thinking that maybe this guy is announcing that God is about to act to make all things right. Okay, what does that have to do with seed? Well, let me tell you. Seed is, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, seed is a word that gets used a lot, really early on. In Genesis 3.15, Adam and Eve have rebelled against God, have introduced brokenness and fallenness and death into the world, and God comes to them and says, yes, it's a bad situation. There's going to be bad consequences for all of us, me, especially me, God knows, and for you too, but the seed of the woman is someday going to crush the serpent's head. He promises that the seed of the woman, well, you know, you know what he means by that, right? He means her child. Unless you're 150 years old, you don't talk about like your kids as your seed. That's kind of like an 1800s thing to do, like an old man talking about me and my seed or me and my offspring. But it, it can be used for a child. It's used in Genesis 3.15 for you know, my, my child, you know, the, the, the child of the woman. But the word there is used as seed. Um, Genesis 12, later on, God promises Abraham, Abraham, your seed, your child, your children are going to fix everything. They're going to bring blessing to the whole world. And so if you're, if you're immersed in the Old Testament and you're studying it, you're filled up with this notion that seed, the seed someday, and we are the seed, Israel's the seed, the seed someday God is going to use us to fix everything. But then there's the problem. And the problem is, is that the seed fails. In the Old Testament, the seed does not live up to the vocation that God called them to, to be light and salt, to be a kingdom of priests, to be a royal nation. They don't live up to that. And so God expels them out of the land. A bunch of them end up going to Babylon, and there, they're the seed. But the promises are still lingering over their heads, this notion that someday God is going to take the seed and bring it back home to Israel, replant it, and that it would grow and become amazing fruit. And at that moment, God would be the king of the world again. And God would set all things right. This is the hope of the back 60% of the Old Testament, is that God would take the seed, the people of God, out of, uh, out of, out of Babylon and replant them in the land. Let me give you a couple examples of this. So um, um, Isaiah 44. So Isaiah 44 is looking, into, looking off into a day when God's people, the seed, would be taken from Babylon and replanted in the land. Here's what Isaiah says. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant. It's actually God talking through Isaiah. Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Remember, they're in Babylon at the time. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. Check this out. I will pour my spirit upon your seed. And that's not just pouring spirit upon the seed means that your children who are left and are in exile, I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit on them and renew them, revive them. And it, 
Lots of other texts in the prophets are clear that the day when the Holy Spirit comes will be the day when God is putting all things to right. We talked about that at Pentecost a few weeks ago. I will pour out my spirit upon your seed and my blessing on your descendants. Think of the word blessing as a Genesis 12 word, as an Abraham word. It's not, I'm going to do nice things for you. It's, I'm going to reverse the curse through you. That's what blessing is. I'm going to rescue the world through this seed. I'm going to pour my spirit on your seed. I'm going to replant them in the land, and here's what's going to happen. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. Then this one will say, I'm the Lord's. Another one will call on the name of Jacob. And another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. Isaiah sees this day when God replants the seed, pours his Holy Spirit on them, and the new creation begins. In fact, this is the background for a famous line in Psalm 126. If you're, old, if you're older than 100 years old, you will have sung the hymn, uh, Bringing in the Sheaves in church when you were young. I went to a church where we sang, uh, Bringing in the Sheaves. Uh, my daughters are familiar with Bringing in the Sheaves because a little known trivia fact about Little House on the Prairie. If you watch Little House on the Prairie, every church service, they sing Bringing in the Sheaves multiple times. It's like the only hymn they know. They sing it at the beginning. Anyway, bring in the sheaves. When I was a kid, you know, uh, if you know that hymn, it's about like, it's based upon this verse from Psalm, Psalm 126, which says, he that goes forth weeping, bearing precious seed, will doubtless come again, bringing his sheaves with him. Now, when I was a kid, and what that, that old hymn is that we don't sing anymore, maybe you do, I don't, but what it's about, what we always talked about was like evangelism, you know? You go forth with the seed and you spread the seed of God's word and then you'll doubtless come bring your sheaves with you. I think all that's true, by the way, but that's not what Psalm 126 is talking about. What Psalm 126 is talking about is this. You, exiles, were kicked out of the land and you took your precious seed with you. What's the precious seed in the Old Testament? It's not Bible tracts. It's kids. It's the offspring. It's the ones who we're hoping every time one of us has a baby, that that baby might bring salvation to the world. It's that seed. You go forth weeping, bearing that precious seed with you, you will doubtless come back again, bringing your sheaves with you. I promise you, God says in Psalm 126, your seed will be replanted in the land. Okay, that's the background of Jesus' seed parables. So when Jesus comes along and he's talking all the time about planting seed, this, planting seed, that, it's not just like... He must have read the farmer's almanac or something because all he can think about is agriculture stuff. No, he's actually intentionally evoking this whole story of God's people along with the promise that at some point in the future, God was going to take the people, the seed, replant them in Israel and make all things new. And Jesus is saying that time is now. By the way, the parable of the sower, which we're not talking about this morning, Matthew 13, which is about, you know, I referenced it a few seconds ago. The sower sows seed, and some of it falls on the path, and it gets trodden underfoot, and some of it falls on the rocky soil, and it springs up a little bit, but doesn't have great roots, and some of it falls in the thorns. Some of it falls on good ground and bears fruit. This is not primarily about personal evangelism, although you should personally evangelize. It's primarily Jesus saying, in the past, the seed has been cast, and it's not been growing. For whatever reason, our rebellion, exile, our sin, but now in my ministry, the seed is being cast and the fruit is going to grow. It's mainly, it's not telling us how to evangelize or even primarily the struggles of evangelism when you tell people about Jesus and they don't respond. Those are important lessons, but the primary message of the parable of the sower is that now's the time. I'm planting the seed and it's going to grow, which 
It's the same message of our parables from today. I'm planting the seed and it's going to grow. Now, I promise you, this, I'm, I'm going to give you five quick visions from these two parables of what the kingdom looks like. Granted that Jesus guarantees that it's going to grow. Five quick visions of what that looks like, okay? The first is that the kingdom grows. The, seed, it's, the seed's about the kingdom, right? The, the, the kingdom grows out of death. This is just kind of a part of the reality of agriculture. Jesus harvests it, no pun intended, and puts it to use here, which is like if, you, like if you're going to reseed your lawn, if you need grass on your lawn, you're going to reseed it. You're going to throw the grass out there, and the grass actually, the seed actually has to hit the ground and die and germinate, and then the grass springs up, and then you've got a lawn full of grass. That something has to die, right? If you have, so, I mean, Jesus appeals to this very, very specifically in John chapter 12 when he's announcing his impending death, and he says this. Listen to this, it's super important. Jesus says in John 12, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He means his death and resurrection. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So he's saying, you take a grain of wheat and you set it on the, the, your porch railing and it just sits there and nothing's going to happen unless the wind blows it off or a squirrel eats it. It's just going to sit there for forever. But if you take that grain of wheat and you plant it in the ground and it dies and germinates and grows, you can have a bunch of wheat. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to have to die because that's the way for the seed to grow. If you want the seed promises from the Old Testament to come true, if we, if we want God's people to be replanted in the land and for the kingdom of God to arrive, I'm going to have to die. The seed, the grain of seed has to die. It's the way it always works. The kingdom always works through death. I mean, you guys, in this Christianity 101, you know what he's talking about, right? He's going to go to the cross and he's going to die. One man is going to die. We read about this. Paul referenced it in 2 Corinthians 5. One man is going to die. And as a result of that one man's death and resurrection, y'all are alive now. That's the gospel. The God-man dies so that we all can live. The seed falls into the ground. And then a field of wheat, metaphor, grows up. And that's why we're here. The kingdom always grows on death. Now, the death of Christ, that, that's, you know, that, that's, that's there, that's locked in. Other deaths too. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's talking about our death. And he says the only way to understand what our death means is to understand it, A, in relationship to the death and resurrection of Jesus. If you are in Christ, when your body is buried in the ground someday, or if you're cremated, or if you are, are blown up in an aircraft explosion and your body goes into a billion different parts, at some point, Jesus is going to return and he's going to raise that body and give it new life. The second way to understand it too is this in, in 1 Corinthians 15, is that Christians must die, quite possibly not literally, he, he means. That that's, that's true too. Your death, like your death will be the greatest proclamation of the gospel maybe. Somebody's going to stand over your dead body and promise everybody who's looking that this body in Jesus Christ will rise from the dead. But our death every day, our death to self, our death to our own desires and goals when they stand in the way of loving our kids and our friends and our spouses and our neighbors, when those deaths die, new life grows. The kingdom always grows with death. This is why, um, this is why it's so important to not run away, to not be freaked out by persecution or by apparent failure. 
Because God consistently uses persecution and apparent failure to bring himself glory, constantly. The wheat falls into the ground and it dies, and you think that's the end of the story, and it's pretty sad. But before long, a whole shock, is that the right word? A whole stalk of wheat is growing up out of that dead wheat. That's the first thing. The kingdom always grows out of death. Second, the kingdom grows by itself. Verse 27, the farmer uh, plants the seed and then he sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. The main work in the kingdom of God is not done by us. It's somehow embedded in the DNA of the seed itself. The gospel is the one who grows the kingdom. The gospel is the thing that grows the kingdom. Jesus is the one who grows the kingdom. And I I know I've stood up here a lot and said things like, you know, let's be on mission with Jesus and let's be doing kingdom work. And all that is super true. But let's not, you and I, misunderstand that as me saying, we have to make the kingdom happen. Because the kingdom is going to happen. The whole point of these parables is that it's guaranteed that the seed is going to grow. And all we have to do is like be there along for the ride. It's not our credit. So I'll just give you a quick historical example. Uh, there's a guy named Albert Schweitzer, who if this, again, if this is 120 years ago, we would all know who Albert Schweitzer is. He was kind of a rock star at the early 1900s. He was a, um, a proficient classical music composer. He was a, a medical doctor. He was a missionary in Africa. And he was a top-notch New Testament theologian although I don't agree with a lot of stuff he says about the New Testament, one of which is this. He says that Jesus came and announced the kingdom because Jesus firmly believed that he was going to bring the kingdom in. When Jesus told these seed parallels, he thought, I'm doing this. And then he goes to Jerusalem, and his goal is to start the kingdom. But to his great frustration, everybody abandons him. And when he sees that he's failed, but I, I don't agree with this, by the way. If you're watching on the live stream, like rewind it so you can hear me say that this is not what I believe. When Jesus sees that he fails, Schweitzer says he throws himself against the great wheel of history. But as he's being crushed by the wheel of history, he causes it to turn and kicks off the Christian church. And so now we gather together as the Christian church and we examine the life of the man Jesus and we say, He will not have failed in vain. He died, but he did not die for nothing. He left us his example of love and justice and peace. And now we will bring about his kingdom. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that the farmer plants the seed and then the farmer goes to bed. And the seed's growing and the farmer has no clue what's going on while he's sleeping. And even when he's standing out there, I mean, there's stuff you can do. There's stuff we can do as as, as kingdom people, right? You can irrigate, you can put fertilizer on, you can make sure that the soil's prepared, you can make sure that the crop rotation's on spot. You can do all this stuff. But actually, when you're standing there, the seed is working and you're not doing nothing. And that's what Jesus is saying is, you don't need to do anything. I am doing everything. I'm making the kingdom grow. Here's what I'm trying to do for you this morning, is I'm trying to give you confidence. Like when we talk about being on mission, when we talk about doing mercy ministry, when we talk about evangelism, there's actually no stress involved. Because God is guaranteed that Glenn Carbon will belong to him. Every square inch of it, guaranteed. It might not be in your lifetime or my lifetime. More on that in just a second. But it's guaranteed. He does not need us to do this. He's going to do it. He just invites us along to be his body on the journey of his kingdom growing, okay? This is why prayer is so important. So important is because more important than us getting out and doing things, as important as that is, that's super vital, right? We're sending the kids off to Minnesota to be on mission. 
that's super vital. But if we're not praying for them and if they're not praying, if we're not acknowledging that this is like God's mission and he's doing what he does, he's growing the seed, then it's not really kingdom work. It's not really missional. The kingdom of God always grows by itself. Third of all, the kingdom grows from small beginnings. Verse 31, this is the famous uh, grain of mustard seed parable, right? The kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown and grows up, it becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts off, um, puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Why is Jesus saying this? Because many of many of the faithful Jews of Jesus' day anticipated, sometimes because of like evocative Old Testament text, anticipated that there was going to be this great cataclysmic event where God darkened the sun and sent earthquakes or other versions of this, this mighty dynamic figure rose up and said, men of Israel, grab your swords. We're going after the Romans in Caesarea and tromped on down to the city of Caesarea and slaughtered the Roman garrison. And then God would shine down and the kingdom would be established. Lots of those stories. And what Jesus is saying is, by saying, it starts off small, grain of a mustard seed. What's he saying is this, is like, hey guys, I'm telling you that I'm bringing the kingdom. And in a few months maybe, you're gonna see me get executed on a cross and you're gonna think, oh, that's kind of a downer. Well, that's, that, that's not powerful at all. But I just want you to know that it's still kingdom. That's what he's saying. The kingdom always starts off small, unnoticeable, trivial, something easily ignored. Remember Isaiah describes him as, a, as a, a man of griefs, a man so ugly we wouldn't even want to look at him. The kingdom of God always starts off small. What's the point? Just like Jesus is saying to his hearers, we must not be put off by any sort of smallness in the kingdom. We must not be put off by the insignificant amount of people that are involved or the insignificant amount of progress that we're making or the trivialness of the work that we're doing. You know, so frequently you're doing mission or you're doing some sort of kingdom work and you're like, this is just not going anywhere. I'm not making any difference at all. Frequently we do things that are kingdom work, but they're so small and tiny, we don't even want to acknowledge them as kingdom work because it seems embarrassing to even call those things missional. And yet they are. God chooses small, tiny, insignificant things like a mustard seed to make kingdom progress. When God chose his own people, he chose a minority ethnic slave group. When God sent Gideon into battle against the pagans, he said, get rid of all your soldiers except for these guys who know how to play trumpets. When God decided to finally make things right, he turned himself into a little baby of a poor woman. This is how God does something. God does stuff. He does stuff starting off small. We're frequently tempted to think of kingdom stuff as big events. And there's nothing wrong with big events. Sometimes there are Exodus moments where the water parts in the seas. Sometimes there are Pentecost moments where the tongues of fire come down and everybody's speaking in tongues. Frequently, though, the kingdom of God is mustard seed stuff. Frequently, the kingdom of God is, and I'm not trying to be funny or flip, flippant, frequently the kingdom of God is just faithfully folding the laundry. And we're like, no, 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 that's not important stuff. That's not kingdom stuff. Yes, it is. Frequently, the kingdom of God stuff is just being nice and accepting the person at work that nobody else wants to talk to because they're kind of out there. 
and doing it in Jesus' name and just being friends with people that nobody else wants to be friends with. It's small, it's insignificant. You might even be thinking like, this is, I'm just, I feel sorry for the guy. That's kingdom work. It's mustard seed stuff. God works through tiny, small things. Faithfully being selfless with our friends and our family. Faithfully, so lots of times we're like event-oriented. This is just the way we are, you know. The, the, um, the important people in culture have events. You know, the professional athletes, the musicians, the movie stars. There's a concert or a movie or a, you know, a baseball game to go to to see them do their stuff. And so we think, well, we have to have like big events. And of course, this is an event of a sort here, right? So I'm not saying that events are bad. But the kingdom work is almost always never big events. It's almost always you and me or you and her, or him and him, just walking through life together, figuring out, like, do you know somebody who can fix my lawnmower? Or, hey, I feel like somebody, you know, you, you want to go out and get something to drink, or something like that. Frequently, that's the kingdom work. It's mustard seed stuff. God is promising to grow it up. The kingdom always grows from small beginnings. Fourth, the kingdom grows slowly. Verse 28, this is implied here. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Um, you know, if you, of course, I don't have to tell you guys this. When you watch a plant grow, you can't actually see it grow. It's almost unnoticeable. So, uh, you know, driving up to see Angela's family up in Macoupin County, so they've planted corn in a field, and like you can't really, you know, from week to week, if you drive up there, you can't really see any difference in the size of the corn. Of course, from the beginning of the season to the end of the season, you can see a, a difference in the size. But, but from day to day, you can't see any difference. And, and the temptation is to, well, not if you're a farmer and you know better, but the temptation is to, you know, the whole watch pot never boil syndrome, is to look at our, our lives as kingdom people and say, well, nothing's really happening here. This whole thing's kind of stalled out. It's very, very narrow-minded, myopic. The kingdom of God always grows slowly. Look, here we are, 2,000 years in. And you and I don't see from day to day the growth of the kingdom. Probably every once in a while, God gives us like really big events that turn you on and you're like, that's special. I can hang my hat on that one for a while. But typically speaking, you don't see the growth of the kingdom. In fact, there's like this myth, especially in the West, of the death of Christianity. We now live in a post-Christian culture, right? But, but if you could get in a time machine and go back and you could meet the apostle Peter, you know, and so Peter's standing on the mountain and Jesus has just ascended to his father. And Peter's standing there with his friends. And I, you know, who knows what he said. You know, like, well, let's get to work, guys. And if you could walk up to Peter and you could tell him, hey, Peter, i got to tell you something. I just flew in from a time machine. I'm from this place called Glen Carbon. You've never heard it. It's on the other side of a sea that you don't even know the sea exists yet. And it's, I came from 2,000 years from now. And we don't, speak in, we don't speak the same language. We don't have any sort of the same cultural predilections. I'm just telling you, though, that that construction worker that you worship, I and a bunch of my friends worship him too. He would be gobsmacked, I imagine. He probably, in a million years, couldn't imagine that that little movement that started on that hilltop next to Jerusalem was going to bear fruit in Glen Carbon, Illinois, 2,000 years from now. So let that be a reminder to us that the kingdom moves slow. Slow. Now, what does this mean? Give yourself grace and give other people grace. Sanctification is always progressive. You know, the temptation is, uh, this is not really a Lutheran thing, so you can largely ignore it, I guess. But there's other, like, there's a, 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 
a cottage industry in the church that I grew up in, the, the, the particular type of Baptist church that I grew up in, where we would, you know, you look at somebody and they're struggling with a sin in their life and they just can't get victory over it. And you think, ah, I wonder if they're even a Christian. They're not getting victory over that. Well, that, that's a very sort of, look. first of all, it's very arrogant to assume that where I'm succeeding and they're not succeeding, that must mean that they're less of a Christian than me. Because guaranteed, as a Christian, there's places where they're succeeding where I'm struggling. But second of all, the kingdom grows slowly. People never get saved and then like give up all their sins. People don't even live their whole Christian lives and give up all their sins. To give each other the grace to say, let's get in this together and let's settle down to watch this crop grow and give each other the grace that it's going to go slow and we're not going to be discouraged. We're going to keep on loving each other. We're going to keep on taking care of each other. And we're not going to decide that I'm a bad Christian because I just can't get victory over this sin. I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to let him have control of this and I'm going to let him make the growth when he's ready to make the growth. I'm going to pray for it. I'm going to work for it but I'm going to let him do it. And I'm not going to get discouraged if my church isn't where I want it to be yet. And honestly, you all are discouraged with St. James. There's not a single person in here who's like, St. James, you get an A in every category. If you are, you're just myopic. Like, I don't think that way about St. James. And I'm probably the most pie-in-the-sky person about this church in here. There's tons of stuff that we need to work on. Let's give each other the grace not to, not to give up and say like, well, we are who we are. Let's just be, let's, this is, God's called us to be lame in this area. Let's just do it. But to say, let's, let's push forward for it, but let's give each other the grace to grow slowly. The kingdom always grows slowly. Last thing, I'm almost done. The kingdom grows everywhere. So the kingdom grows through death. The kingdom grows by itself. The kingdom grows from small beginnings. The kingdom grows slowly. And then lastly, the kingdom grows everywhere. Verse 32. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. This is a, would you, I mean, so it sounds like Jesus is being kind of poetic here. The kingdom of God is going to grow from this tiny mustard seed, and then it's going to get bigger, and then look, can you imagine it? The birds coming and making nests. He's actually not being flowery or poetic. He's pulling on a really kind of cool Old Testament image to talk about what the goal is here. And the Old Testament image is one that we actually read. I didn't choose the lectionary readings today. We actually read in Ezekiel. Let me read it to you again. It's in your bulletin if you want to follow along. Thus says the Lord God, I myself, he's talking about in the future, when Jesus comes actually, I will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one. And I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. So the image is, there's this tree, the cedar tree. He's going to take this little tiny twig off of there and he's going to take that little twig and he's going to plant it in a mountain. Small, like a mustard seed being planted. He's going to plant that tiny twig in the mountain. And on the mountain height of Israel will I plant it that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches. Bird of every sort will nest. This is what Jesus is saying, right? And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. What's he mean? Who are all the trees of the field? It's all the non-Israel trees. They will all know that this tree is the Lord's tree. He's more explicit here in, in uh, Ezekiel chapter 31. Listen to this. Same thing. He's talking about the planting of this future tree, the bringing home and the replanting of the seed. And he says, all the, Ezekiel says, all the birds of the heavens made their nest in its boughs. Under its branches, all the beasts of the field gave birth to their young. And under its shadow lived all great nations. Under its shadow lived all great nations. So when Jesus says, this mustard seed's gonna be planted, and it's going to grow this massive bush. 
and all the birds of the uh, all the birds are going to come and live in it. What's he saying? All the nations of the world are going to come and join themselves to you guys, seed of Israel who's being replanted. You're going to be joined by all these non-Israel people, and it's going to grow and grow and grow, and it's going to take over the whole world. Jesus wins. The kingdom of God will cover every square inch of this universe. It's guaranteed. So why am I telling you this? Don't be confused. Don't be put off. Don't be discouraged by the smallness, the weakness, the brokenness of the kingdom. But be bold and confident in our prayer lives. Be bold and confident in every single thing you do. Maybe it's walking out to the mailbox to get the mail. Maybe it's texting somebody and saying, hey, did you see that game last night? Maybe it's a conversation with your kids. Maybe it's whatever. It could be bigger stuff, like being nice to the, like I said, being nice to the person at work who nobody else wants to be nice to, or the person at school that nobody else wants to be nice to in the name of Jesus. It could be huge stuff. It could be like actually talking about Jesus with somebody who doesn't know him. But anything in between, be completely confident that God has planted that seed and that it is growing. And even if we can't see it grow because it's moving too slowly for our human eyes to process, that God is growing his kingdom here at St. James and in Glen Carbon and over the whole world. Confidence in him. Jesus wins. We can be on mission with him because he's doing it and he promises that he's going to do it. Okay, stand with me and let's pray and then we'll have communion. Let's pray. God, we thank you for We thank you for everything, but we thank you for being a missional God. We thank you for your determination to rescue this world. And we thank you for your decision to rescue us and to give us new life and grace in your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for your connected decision to let us be a part of your mission to rescue Glen Carbon in Edwardsville for yourself. God, we need you to do this. We want to see it happen. We're praying for it to happen. We need you to make the moves. But God, help us to trust you that you are doing it and that you're doing it in your time by the power of your gospel. Help us to be confident and bold enough to love each other, bold enough to love Glenn Carbon, bold enough to be self-sacrificial and suffering for the sake of your kingdom here in Glenn Carbon. Lord, in your mercy. God, for each of us in our lives, it, it, all, it looks differently for all of us, Father. We all have different vocations that you've called us to. We live with different neighbors. We live with different people. We have different jobs, and whether we're getting paid or whether we're volunteer or whether we're working in an office or a work site or a school or a field somewhere or whether we're working in our own house, whether our primary customers are clients or children or parents or friends, whatever our vocations are, God, will you help us where we're at to see your kingdom grow, and will you meet us where our needs are at? Because we freely admit that we're incapable of doing the vocations you've called us to because we ourselves are part of the problem. Will you fix us? Will you allow us to see your kingdom grow through the things that you're doing through us, for your honor and glory, but through the things that you're doing through us? Lord, in your mercy. Father, we pray for all who are struggling with sickness today and physical sickness and mental health issues and for relational brokenness and psychological issues and work issues and financial issues and worries and concerns, people who are mourning the loss of loved ones, people who are mourning the loss of themselves, people who are struggling and at sea wondering whether they're coming or going and not knowing what's going on in their lives or what you have planned for them and struggling to trust you. 
God, will you be with all of us and lead us safely into your kingdom? Help us to see that you are the sovereign, loving God in charge of all things. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we want to praise you, especially this morning, for the birth of Molly Fry to Jared and Annie and for uh, her health and for Annie's health. And I pray that you would even now be with uh, the three of them, with the six of them, and that you would be guiding and directing them together. And be with Molly, Father, bring her safely to the waters of baptism. And may she never, ever, ever in her life know a single day where she's not completely aware that you love her unconditionally and wholeheartedly. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we pray these things because you are the seed planter and because you've planted us here in Glen Carbon and Maryville and Troy and Edwardsville and all the surrounding areas. And you've got us here for a reason. And we acknowledge that you are our sovereign Father. And so we come to you as your children, asking you to answer these requests according to your will and for your glory and through the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Will you, if you can, confess our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed? This is found in your bulletin. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day He rose again according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And He will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and Giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And now let's pray together in Jesus' name, the prayer that he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.
May this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Depart in Christ's peace. Amen. All right, Stacy's going to come now and she's going to tell us a little bit about what's going on this week with the youth and then we're going to pray for them. Well, I would like to say thank you for everyone and your generosity and the donations that you have given. I'm going to show you a quick sampling of the bags we're going to be bringing with us to Minnesota. We have a lot of shirts that we've received, so we'll hand these out to anybody who wants one while we're up there. And then these are what the bags look like. It's just a little sling bag. Inside is a little personal hygiene kit, toothbrush, toothpaste, soap, washcloth. Then we have like a big fun item. It might be a jump rope, it might be a ball, it might be a game. We've got all kinds of variety downstairs for that. There's a bookmark, some chalk, crayons, bubbles. We have these little friendship bracelets that we're going to be adding to here too. A stress ball, little notepads. And then they'll be attending a VBS so they can add to their bag any papers or any other things that they do for that. Um, I have over 300 of these. We have so many. We're going to be working Tuesday night to fill these up and taking them with us to hand out. 
So this summer, I know you guys know, because I've gotten up here and talked about it a lot, our youth group is so excited to just follow after the heart of God. We have been doing so many things here in our community, and we are so blessed that we're able to do this and go to Minnesota. We've worked on buildings here in Edwardsville. We have done Operation Christmas Child. Remember all those boxes we filled as a church and watched those go overseas? And we're going to be taking these up north to our new, our new friends in Minnesota and our new sister church we can partner with. Um, we're also going to be doing like a little VBS pop-up day in Fairmont City in July. We go to the Homeless Outreach Center in Granite City. We were just there yesterday. And there are just so many ways that God is asking us to go, and we are so excited to go. And I encourage all of you, come with us. When we have something pop up, come with us. Anyone can come with us. You can be a teenager. You don't have to be a teenager. <laughs> come along. Join us if, if you so feel that you want to or that's something God's placed on your heart. Uh, but what I'd now like to do is have everyone come up here who's going on the trip, adults and kids. If you're going, uh, come on up. We have 25 in total. Gonna stand along here if you can. Not everyone is here, but I would also like to call up all of our youth. If you're in our youth group, junior high, come up here with us. We need everybody. Oh, thank goodness, this looks amazing. You guys are like emotional. So, um, anyway. Thank you, guys. I love you all to pieces. But we'll pray over us. Father, these you have called for, for this moment and this time. You have called us, but especially right now, these people for your mission. And you have something powerful that you want them to do and something that's not just going to be this week, but it's going to be their whole lives and it's going to affect uh, their friends and their family in the future. And God, I'm praying that this week we all are praying that you send them with safety, but that you send them with the power of your Holy Spirit and that they would see you work in such a way that no, none of us could do anything but glorify you. And that each one of these kids would experience you, not just experience working for you, but get a real sense that they are with you, that you are with them, and that they are embedded in your heart. And we pray for the people that they're going to minister to, not just the people in Minnesota, but the people in Fairmont City and all the people that they're going to come in contact with, either formally as a group when they're out doing mission together, or informally when they're separated and they're being on mission, mission that's flowing out of who they are together, but as individuals, that you would bless them and that you would let them see your salvation and that you would let them see that where their feet walk and where their hands touch and where their words reach, that your righteousness is extended there and that people are coming to know you and that believers are being sanctified and that your kingdom is growing inch by inch wherever they're at that you would give them this confidence and boldness that you love them and that you're with them and that you have chosen them as your children and as your servants and that they have become together they have become your hands and your feet and your body wherever they're at give them a real deep sense of that and god let them see some success let them see something that they know will be you and so we send them out with our prayers and with our love 
in, with your love and with your faithfulness and with your justice and with your righteousness watching over them. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You guys can go back and be seated. So when they get back, we're going to have a service that's uh, devoted to uh, the kids serving. You saw some of them ushering today, and uh, we'll get them doing other stuff too, helping us read scripture, and then they're going to report back after their mission trip to us too, and that'll be in a few weeks. Okay, uh, stand with me, and let me give you the benediction, and then we will go and serve the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Look around. You meet Jesus in community. Look around. Find somebody you don't know, don't recognize, or somebody that you do recognize and you just need to talk to and start to build that Jesus community. Go in peace.